Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, an expert in child development and education, and a lifelong teacher and learning. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive, trauma-informed, brain-based, self-regulation program that combines discipline, social-emotional learning, and school culture into one integrated process. Real Talk for Real Teachers is a growing community of loving professionals who seek both to understand and be understood. Today, we're talking about a wonderful program called Saving Brains, developed in the country of Grenada. The program uses conscious discipline as a way of moving individuals and communities away from using corporal punishment as a method of discipline into more of a teaching mode. So let's kind of start with looking at corporal punishment in general. What do we actually mean? So corporal punishment, also called physical punishment, is a punishment intended to cause physical pain on a person. And, you know, I don't know if you guys or anybody out there listening has been binge watching on TV, Henry VIII and Mary Queen of Scots and Queen of this, you know, in the 15th century. That'll get you synthesized to corporal punishment, I'll tell you that. The history and the rationale for the use of corporal punishment was that the pain, the injury, humiliation, and degradation it inflicted would deter the offender from committing similar offenses in the future. Despite no data to support this and an abundance of data to discredit these claims, our faith in corporal punishment and punishment in general is strong and alive and well. However, we are making progress in changing our mindset. So on the international front, corporal punishment is increasingly being viewed as a violation of children's human rights. The United Nations Committee on the Rights of the Child issued a directive in 2006 calling physical punishment legalized violence against children that should be eliminated in all settings through legislative, administrative, social, and educational measures. 192 countries ratified that treaty, with only the United States and Somalia failing to do so. Which brings us to the United States. So in the United States, we have 33 states have banned corporal punishment in schools, and 19 still allow it. Most of those 19 states are in the southern United States. And 75% of U.S. parents still believe corporal punishment is effective despite no research to support it and an abundance of research to discredit it. Actually, studies show that corporal punishment is ineffective and actually harmful to students. Schools and states that use physical punishment perform worse academically than those who have declared the practice illegal. Evidence shows that students who undergo corporal punishment have lower test scores and reported problems with depression, fear, and anger. Physical punishment also contributes to an overall violent atmosphere, leading students who witness it, experience it, to develop violent notions that that's how we solve problems. Those who undergo repeated abuse or violence are also prone to dropping out of school. So when we hear all that, we think, oh, my Lord. But we don't need all this data to know how detrimental punishment is. We can just kind of reflect and look within ourselves to see the impact of our own self-punishment. Most of us, if you're like me, beat ourselves up daily for perceived wrongdoings. If we're not beating ourselves up, we're projecting our pain onto others 
in attempting to degrade or humiliate or theoretically beat them up, whether it's verbally or physically. Either way, punishment of ourselves or others impacts our mood negatively. We know our mindset influences our inner states. Our inner states talk directly with our immune system. And not only do we take our mood down, we take our actual physical health down with us. So corporal punishment was used originally on adults, prisoners, and enslaved people. So it makes sense people historically who have been enslaved are very familiar with the culture of corporal punishment. That is the case in many Caribbean islands. So let's now talk to our guest and see what's happening down in the island of Grenada. Today, I have the privilege of talking with Dr. Barbara Landon. I met Barbara through a wonderful, brilliant, and deep friend of mine, her mother, actually, Chris Landon, who was implementing conscious discipline in her preschool program. And Chris has always been a joy to me, and she's been somewhat of a mentor to me. So it was exciting to meet her daughter. Dr. Barbara Landon is a neuropsychologist and professor of bioethics at St. George's University School of Medicine in Grenada and a recipient of the Saving Brains grant. So welcome, Barbara. How's the weather down there? Thanks, Becky. It's um, sunny and warm. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to have you with us. And so first, tell us about how you got involved with conscious discipline or what stuck out with you. I know your beautiful mother was the one who exposed it to you, but what grabbed your attention as a neuropsychologist? I mean, what made you think this has some potential to help children, families, and to deal with some kind of movement off this notion that corporal punishment is uh, the ideal way to go about disciplining our children? Well, long before I got interested in corporal punishment, I was actually working as a pediatric neuropsychologist, and I had looked at all of the parenting and teacher education programs, and this was the one that stuck with me because it's completely consistent with everything that I've ever learned about the brain. And, and I've been studying the human brain for a long time. So I think I liked conscious discipline from the very beginning of time when I was exposed to it based on its consistency with, um, with the brain. I had even, I had learned the triune brain model in graduate school as a way to really understand and simplify what happens with human behavior. So that's what I liked most about conscious discipline. Well, that makes sense. So then you wrote a grant through Grenada. Now, what was the intent of this grant you wrote, the Saving Brains grant? What was your goal and what were you looking for? Well, Grand Challenges Canada um, has a program, Saving Brains. They are actually interested in funding innovation around the world. Saving Brains is one of their programs. So we looked at this, my colleague Randy Wader and I looked at this grant and we thought, we're already doing this, um, but what if we could really have funding to bring conscious discipline to Grenada? Grenada's uh, a country of 110,000 people, so it's a lot smaller than the U.S., where I had been recommending conscious discipline but not actually teaching it. Um, so when I moved here, there were so many families really hurting for education, lots of disruption, lots of violence. Not that that doesn't exist everywhere in the world, but I saw it really up close here. And I thought, well, I know this program that's really 
pretty terrific for helping parents. And I was specifically focused on parents, um, helping parents discipline their children in alternative ways, because the only way that most parents knew was physical punishment. Also, there's a local group of students called ALPS. I think it's, uh, they're, they're all psychology majors or humanities majors. And they asked me to come and give a talk about corporal punishment and child abuse. So that's when I started really digging into the literature about corporal punishment. So Saving Brains came about because we were already interested in corporal punishment and presenting conscious discipline as an alternative. And because there was funding out there for something that we thought our program could qualify for because it is innovative. The purpose was not necessarily to address corporal punishment, but to build a society of people who are good problem solvers. Right. So what was the conceptualization? Tell us about how you did the conscious discipline bus and how you were going to disseminate this information to parents, because you had already many programs going that are wonderful there, and you kind of bridged it into conscious discipline. So tell us about that. Well, we partnered with a local group called the Roving Caregivers, and the Roving Caregivers exist in one form or another on several Caribbean islands. They were originally funded by the Van Leer Foundation and then sort of left on their own. Um, In Grenada, there was one person, Ms. Dawn Cyrus, who really championed early childhood education. So the roving caregivers were going into homes and doing infant stimulation, children zero to three. And we thought, well, if they're already out there going into communities, and Don Cyrus had made sure that most of them were trained in conscious discipline, because I was by that time teaching conscious discipline here. So we thought, since babies need way more than half an hour a week of face-to-face contact and stimulation, how about we train the rovers to train the parents and the caregivers rather than coming in once a week and giving half an hour of stimulation. Let's teach the parents how to be connected to their children, how to keep their children safe, how to foster brain development. So part of our program was that the rovers were still going into homes, but they changed their focus. And the other part was we bought a used bus. It's red, yellow, and green, the colors of Grenada's flag. Um, and it says Saving Brains Grenada on the side of it, and it traveled all around the country teaching conscious discipline. So the roving caregivers who were seeing these families once a week, um, once a month, would come and get the families and bring them to the bus. So the bus would drive to the local playing field or playground or some gathering place, and we would put up a little tent and put a parachute down on the ground. Everybody had a job. We were able, thanks to Conscious Discipline, to give away the Sophie book. So each village received a bus visit once a month, and each bus visit had a theme. So that's kind of the way we did it. We have lots of evidence that this was quite effective. People loved the bus. In fact, 100% of our participants said they would recommend the bus to others. And um, it's very visible. It's a rolling uh, billboard for neurodevelopment. It's beautiful. I mean, it reminds me growing up kind of like the ice cream truck would come. Yes. You know, you'd hear that little bell and I don't know how often they came, but all the kids would run out to the ice cream truck and it was like, yay. And it's kind of that model, huh, that you would bring this bus and the roving caregivers and the families would come to the bus and play and enjoy and learn. And so 
What are the results? I mean, so you said they, they turned out kind of good. And did you measure all this? Did. We, we measured a lot. We have so much data. Um, but the, the main finding was that the children who received conscious discipline through the rovers and the bus had better cognitive scores on an international measure called the Inter-NDA, Neurodevelopmental Assessment, considerably better scores than the children who were in our waitlist control group. So with that data, we went back to Grand Challenges after the pilot project finished and said, help us scale this up so we can go to the entire nation so we can build a demonstration center for other Caribbean islands and small island developing states. So we have just, um, in the last few months, received word that we have been funded for a scale-up grant. Wonderful. Exciting and uh, daunting. (laughs) Yes. So in this process, Barbara, tell us a story. Tell us some uh, one of your big successes. You've been teaching conscious discipline in the island and, you know, over a number of groups of people. But is there anything that kind of sticks out to you, like a real success story with either a parent or, or someone you were sharing the information with or a program? Well, there's so many success stories, Becky. It's, um, it's very heartwarming. Um, I think one of our one of my favorites is a little boy whose mother he and his mother came to the bus and they were so disconnected from each other that she would not even have her picture taken with him so he had his picture taken alone we each village the person on the bus our wonderful Steph Holmes who's also a conscious discipline instructor would um, put up the pictures of, of it was basically the school family concept so with Matt. Yeah, the, the friends and family board. And this little boy's picture went up all by himself because his mother wouldn't have a picture taken with him. And now we have so many photos of that particular pair, that particular dyad, having fun together, reading together, playing, laughing together, rolling around on the parachute together. So we went from a, a parent-child dyad who just weren't connected at all to these beautiful photographs of a mother and child. He's about two, having such a good time together. So let me see if I got this right before you go to your next wonderful story. They went up there and they made connections around this bus and their cognitive abilities increased. Exactly. So you weren't teaching cognitive skills. No, we were not. We were teaching connection. We were teaching joint attention. We, we did a lot of stop and go activities um, to build impulse control. We did lots and lots of I love you rituals. Um, and basically it was like a little community gathering. Anyone who had a young toddler could come to the bus. And um, I mean, we definitely wanted to focus on those who had roving caregivers as well, because they were the ones who were enrolled in the study, but anybody could come. Sometimes we had just people from the village standing around and observing. So in addition to it being a, a, an enrichment activity for children and families, it was also an educational process that built some community connections. And that's part of what we're going to focus on in this next rollout of the Transition to Scale program is really building that community. We'll be going into schools as well as into the um, communities. So the focus is now children zero to five instead of zero to three. And UNICEF is involved, which we're really proud of. Excellent. So then 
Tell me another story. I just want one more. One more, either with an adult or with a child. And after you tell that story, let's go a little further. Did did this seem to be an alternative option for parents instead of physical punishment? Well, here's an old story. Um, after a conscious discipline session, the very first session, it was just on becoming brain smart. A mom went home and emailed me the next day. She told me that she had put supper on the table for this little girl. She said, I went home after that class and I felt so much love for that child. And I put her glass of milk on her placemat and she pulled her placemat towards her and the milk spilled. And she said, ordinarily, Doc, I would have gotten the belt. I would have beaten that baby because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And instead, I just cleaned up the milk and got her a new cup and she looked at me with big eyes and said, Mommy beat me? And the mom said, No, I'm not going to beat you. It was a mistake. So that was, that was long before we were even really focused on corporal punishment. We were really just focused on teaching conscious discipline. So that was a big wake up for me that um, this program could actually reverse some of the deficits that we see in children because they expect to be beaten. Right. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. And I can hear it over and over and over and over. Let me tell you. So in regard to this, let's just go back to a little bit to physical punishment, because it is so rooted in all of us. And if it's not physical punishment, some punishment of some sort, and I've never been pro or con for or against punishment, I just don't think it's effective, you know, so why do something that's not going to achieve the goal you're after? So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, because now you've gotten into physical and corporal punishment and, and done many things worldwide. So what are your thoughts about that and how deeply it's ingrained in us and how, to some degree, how hard it is to let go of? Yeah, it's really hard to let go of. I think I've addressed almost all of the arguments with people here because it is so much a part of the culture in the Caribbean, it's, uh, the culture of child rearing. So here's another story. SGU has a radio station, and I was a guest being interviewed about conscious discipline and saving brains. And afterwards, um, the host told me that he went to um, a very prominent boys' school here, and he was required, after the spelling test, to put up his hand with his fingers showing how many words he had gotten wrong. And the teacher would come along and give them a very hard smack on the hand for every word they'd gotten wrong. So he and his classmates learned to put up one finger because the teacher didn't actually look at the spelling test. He just wanted to know how many they'd gotten wrong and how many licks they would get. So he said, I didn't learn to spell. I learned to be devious. And when I look at the literature, there's so much international research now on um, even in cultures where there's a lot of maternal warmth as well as corporal punishment, those children still don't do as well as children who are not spanked or hit or beaten. The other problem with corporal punishment is that it often it's administered when the adult is angry. And mm -hmm. when the adult is angry, they're not self-regulated. So how are they possibly going to teach their child to be self-regulated? When an adult is angry, corporal punishment often escalates into actual physical abuse. 
I'm sure there are listeners who say, well, no, I'm very controlled. I give one spank and the child knows. And, I, you know, we've heard all those arguments. But when you look at the research, it's so abundantly clear that regardless of whether it's premeditated corporal punishment, regardless of whether it's one smack, the children still don't have as good outcomes. In fact, there's one study, um, it's the Fragile Family Study, that shows that if you asked a parent if they had spanked a child in the last two weeks and the parent said yes, regardless of how many times, when they look at those same children two years later, they're not doing as well as the children who didn't get spanked. So I, I find the evidence really compelling. It is really compelling. And I can't tell you how many people come up and, and here's what I hear all the time. And so maybe you can respond to me if I'm going to be exhibit A here. Uh, well, I was spanked and I turned out fine. Well, how, what is your response to that? You know, I get that all the time from senators down to my neighbor. I was spanked and I turned out fine. To which I can reply, well, I wasn't spanked and I turned out fine. So it's kind of a specious argument because we'll never know. And then I usually cite the literature. <laughs> yeah. One of the things, you know, I do when, when people do that to me, when they say, I was spanked and I turned out fine, one of the things I say in response is, who loved you? Who loved you? And they'll say, you know, my mother, my aunt, my father, whoever. And I said, which do you think was more powerful, the spanking or the loving to make you into the person you are today? Oh, that's a good one, Becky. And they say loving. And I go, well, let's bring it on. Bring it on. Let's find new ways because I think we can do it in different ways. So, so what's next now, Barbara? What's the plan for this? Well, earlier this week, we met with representatives from the ministries. We we had a stakeholder meeting, and um, a number of people from the the government of Grenada were together. What I think what makes our project innovative, according to Grand Challenges, and certainly according to us, is it's a grassroots, bottom-up approach. It's um, one of the problems with corporal punishment legislation has been that often it's been enforced um, from the top down before people are ready. So this is a bottom-up approach. So we didn't really go to the government with our Saving Brains project initially, but now we are because we're going into the schools and we need permission, first of all, and, and buy-in and support. So we've, we're talking to lots of people in the government right now. We um, have a good amount of money to get the bus back on the road. So that's, that's going to be one of the priorities. And then um, we will have a team of people measuring outcomes, uh, pre and post, and we will have a team of people going into the schools and daycare centers, um, kind of supporting what what um, the roving caregivers have already done. We have to identify the schools. Um, there are 106 pre-primary schools in Grenada, and so we will select some to start in year one and some to start in year two. The other big thing that we'll do is we'll bring you and your team down to Grenada again so that all of our people can learn from the, learn from the best. Well, that's because your husband's going to take me diving. So let's just make sure everybody out there hears all this. Okay. All right. So if we had three things, uh, say say I'm in uh, Trinidad or another country, and I know they're interested, but let's just take another island or another country. And they say, you know, I want to do something like this 
on my island. I want to see if I can influence uh, alternative ways of, of interacting with children in, in homes and schools so that we build more connection and more problem-solving citizens. What would be your first three tips? I mean, do this, do this, do this. What would be a start for someone out there and says, I'm going to do this? Oh, that's a really good question. I think, um, well, first of all, as we saw recently in Trinidad, bringing conscious discipline, you know, bringing a two-day workshop to um, teachers is really effective. So to get somebody out there to just kind of yeah. present the ideas and kind of stir the pot a right. little bit. Right. Okay. People who say, yes, I want to do this. That's another really important part. Okay. Then find your yes people. Yeah. The people who already know what it feels like to be safe and connected. And then finally, for whoever is delivering the program, they have to work with those adults who don't know what it feels like. So we're talking about, I mean, of course, this is a generalization, but we're talking about generations of people who have not known what it feels like to feel safe and connected. So for those people, even if they're enthusiastic about conscious discipline, helping them to feel safe and connected seems to me to be really important because otherwise it's just a bunch of, you know, oh, let's put a safe place in a classroom. Right. And without understanding that this is, this is a, uh, well, Don Cyrus described it the other day. She said, it's like being born again to finally understand what conscious discipline is. So um, I, I don't know about born again, but certainly the words you use are paradigm shift. Right. And it's that experience of it. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And creating an opportunity to experience that with you and in front of you and behind you and around you takes a creative person. Yeah, I have a series of photographs that I use um, kind of illustrating two roving caregivers who were practicing an I love you ritual. And they were practicing it. They had the hand motions. I mean, they were really, you know, they thought they had it. And there's this, the final photograph is this look of joy on both of their faces where they are connected and you can feel it even looking at the photograph. So I think that's probably the most important part. I said it third, but, um, yeah, that feeling. Yeah. I've had a parent come up to me and, you know, said, I, I didn't even know you were supposed to connect. I put food on the table. Yeah. I thought I was done and I worked hard to get that food on a table. And she did. And she just didn't know that it, w it went beyond putting a roof and some food. She had no idea right. that there was more than that itself. Once she learned it, it wasn't just good for her child. It was good for her, too. Right. And they beamed just like that photograph. Yeah. So, Barbara, I want to thank you for taking the time out and being with us. I know you've got uh, many, many hats you play down there and the School of Medicine and with your community. So thank you for joining us and thank you for sharing. And I look forward to seeing you soon and I'll, I'll be down. I'll be down. Well, I can't wait, Becky. Thanks. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. to talk to you. Thank you. So next is like, what is Becky up to now? I'm going to do something that I've been pondering. Now I'm going to have to wait a little bit just to fit it into my time schedule, but here's what I want to do. I really want to do a webinar that looks at the difference between punishment and consequences, because I think that we've just changed the name 
You know, like when I was growing up, we had the word was mentally retarded, I think, was when I was growing up. But then it became mentally disabled and then it became mentally challenged. So we changed the verbiage, but the essence of what we're talking about stayed the same. Uh, In other words, it was like a politically correct term to and sometimes now I have to check on what's the new term for political correctness in that. And it's not so much being politically correct. It is being more accurate in our description, for sure. But that's what we've done with punishment and consequences. You know, it's like, oh, I don't punish anymore. We have consequences. Well, you still have the intent to harm, and that would be punishment. So I want to do a webinar on that and really pull those two apart, because I don't think we've really got to the point where we understand the consequences of our own actions. And, you know, as I age, I'm getting to look back and reflect and go, whoa, uh, I didn't see the consequence of that behavior because I was too busy punishing myself for what I did. So that's what I'm going to be up to. uh, So keep an eye out for that down the road. Uh, You can always find out what's going on at ConsciousDiscipline.com. And so what am I celebrating? A celebration? Well, you know what I'm celebrating is we've worked hard. Uh, Barbara has worked tirelessly on the island of Grenada, not just her, but she has a, a team of phenomenal people. And we've tried to hold hands and pull this thing together for a number of years. And I am celebrating their additional funding. She didn't say this, but when they first gave away Saving Brains grants, it was only provide food for starving kids because they thought, you know, how are we going to save a brain is feed them. They didn't believe that we needed to connect with one another and treat each other differently to save that brain also. So we're breaking open a a whole new funding stream, so to speak, and and making awareness come to many people. Um, So I'm celebrating all the additional funding going to Grenada to expand uh, the saving brains and conscious discipline in that country. What a blessing. So with that, let's just recall we're all blessed in some way. Take a deep breath with me. And until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.